So John mentioned a lot about Kokolala, and he talked about money and things. We did get a letter from them this week specifically asking for that. They have a policy of not turning anyone away, but the, the price of camp is based on the cost of feeding kids, largely, uh, the cost of paying the bills, utility bills and things like that. And so every kid they don't get paid for um, makes it harder for camp to function. And, and basically they, they're asking people to sponsor. A kid at camp is 160 bucks before discounts and things like that kick in. And if you have a way to help, uh, they'd really appreciate it. So, uh, uh, Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through the end of the chapter. We are just way at the back of the book. So if you want to turn there, uh, while you turn there, I'm going to talk about uh, exposure. <laughs> I am the uh, checkbook balancer in our house. You know, every one of you has to be. Or possibly not. I mean, that's the reality of it. Theoretically, if you write checks, somebody on that checkbook balances the checkbook, right? Uh, we Every month, you get the statement in the mail from the bank, or maybe you get it online. I get mine. I go down to the computer downstairs. We have Quicken on that one. I update my information in the checkbook, and I run through and balance the checkbook. The version I qu of Quicken I use is 2006 BASIC. <laughs> okay, 13-year-old basic Quicken. I do that because I, I use that because I don't do anything on it but keep my checkbook and balance it. I, I don't write checks from it. I don't uh, schedule transactions from it. I don't plan a budget on it. I don't do all these other things that they keep telling me you can do with it and, and, and all that. And, and I just balance my checkbook. Now, here's the thing. In a group this size, some of you are going, you don't do those things? Don't you know you can do so much more? Don't you know how, light, how, how easy it could make your life? And others of you are going, you balance your checkbook? <laughs> because, you know, we're coming from all over the gamut here, and it's just the, the way we are. That's a discussion for another time. But that's not the point I want to make. I want to go back to when I started using uh, this to use my checkbook. A lady at church came up to me, and, and you know, because I, I was you know, doing it all longhand, and I, I don't know about you, I make a lot of mistakes. Uh, my, my math is good. My writing is bad. <laughs> my, my recording things, my, my uh, writing things down when I'm supposed to is not that good. And I, and I would, it would always, always fighting it, trying to reconcile it. And, and you know, it's like if it's two cents off, I'm sorry. I'm going to do battle. <laughs> Those two cents have to work out. Well, so anyway, this lady, oh so long ago, lady from our church, uh, talked me into using the computer to, to keep the checkbook balanced. I'm grateful she did because it is so much better. And she was obvious, it was obvious to her that I was, you know, kind of over my head with this. So she says, I'll set it up for you and get you started. So she, you know, put in the program. She, she started, she, she, she asked for the checkbook, and she started doing data entry. Now, I don't know if you've ever done something like this, but I found out really quickly that I did not like her seeing my checkbook. I don't know if you realize your checkbook is personal, but hand it over to someone and have them start going through your ledger. And it won't take you very long to say, wait a minute, give it back. I don't want you seeing those things. And I'm thinking, I don't have any dirty secrets in there. You know, I don't have anything where she's going, oh, I get to blackmail the pastor. You know, it's, there, there's nothing like that in there. There wasn't that, anything then. But I found out I don't like feeling exposed. 
I like having privacy, and the checkbook is, is as private as you get. I mean, the people don't know it, and it's not their business. You don't want people knowing your, the details of your life, whether they're wrong or not. They're the details of your life, not their lives. Mind your own stinking business, you know? That's kind of where it is. So, if I don't like somebody seeing my checkbook, which is pretty innocent, how am I going to feel someday if God pulls down a book with my name on the cover and starts reading every page? How am I going to like that? Because that's what we're going to see today. Today we're going to look at the great white throne of judgment. We're going to look at the basis for judgment at the throne. We're going to look at the results of judgment of the throne. And, and the message is real simple. You do not want to be judged by what will be exposed in the book of your life. You want to be judged by that other book he has. So let me read through this passage. It's, very, it's, it's one of those passages, you know, so much of Revelation is mysterious and difficult and sounds strange when we hear it. I think this is one of the more familiar passages. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Okay. First of all, the great white throne of judgment. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. So, so for those who make distinctions, by the way, some of you are, are, are uh, theology, prophecy uh, masters. And you, you're right now, you're going through the distinctions of the judges, judgments in your minds. And others of you are going, there's different judgments, right? It's, it's the same kind of thing. So, so I want to tell you, uh, there are three different judgments taught in the New Testament, or three different types of judgment taught in the same passage, or maybe not, <laughs> because it depends on how, how clearly we can make those distinctions. But the three basic ones are the judgment at the Bema Seat of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ. There is the judgment of the nations, otherwise known as the judgment of the sheep and goats, and there is the great white throne judgment, the one we found there. Okay, the Bema Seat of Christ is found in 2 Corinthians 5.10 and Romans 14.10. So let me turn there, and, and you'll see... Uh, where this comes from. So first of all, 2 Corinthians 5.10 uh, says this, for we, we, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. This is called the Bema Seat of Christ because the word for judgment seat is Bema Seat. Uh, I, I could spell it in English, but it's a Greek word, so it doesn't work a whole lot. Uh, so it's, but it's called the, the Bema Seat or the Bema Seat of Christ. It means judgment seat. It's found there and it's found in Revelation 14.10 where it says, why are you judging others? Don't you know we must also appear before the judgment seat of God? And here he says judgment seat of Christ. There he says judgment seat of God. But it, they both seem to be a clear reference to the same, same uh, 
judgment. And more than that, this is considered to be a judgment of Christians because he says, we must all. So Paul writing both of those passages says, we, meaning he too, uh, believers will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So it's said to be a judgment of Christians. Uh, and uh, the support for this is, in, oh, and then also that it is a judgment for reward, not for punishment. Okay, the support for that is the we all, uh, is by a believer, two believers, uh, and that the judges at award ceremony sat at a bema seat. For instance, if you took a pie to the, to the fair, and, it, and the judge is sitting up there tasting all the different pies. The, the judge where he's sitting, that's called a bema seat. It was, the, it was the word used of the judges at the games. You know, so they had their, I mean, Olympic games go way back. They had all sorts of games, much like we do today. And when the, when the uh, judges awarded the prizes, they awarded them from the bema seat. So it's said to be a judgment of rewards uh, and, and not punishment because you don't hand, hand out punishment from the pie fair thing. You just don't hand out a reward to most of the people, right? So that's the support for that, and that's the Bema seat. Okay, the judgment of nations is found in Matthew 25, 31 to 34. It's actually a lot more. We're not going to read the whole thing just because it's a long one. This is where we get that passage where he says, Lord, when did I see you naked and give you food or, or clothe you or give you hungry and give you food, thirsty and give you water, naked and give you clothing? Uh, and he says, when you did so to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. That's part of this passage, this, this judgment that we find here. And it starts in Matthew 25, verses uh, uh, 31. I'm just going to read through 34. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And he goes on and he explains, uh, the, you know, when did you do something for me, when did you not? Okay, this teaching, the teaching on this is that this is a judgment that comes between the tribulation and the millennium, and it's a judgment on people, groups, rather than on individuals. And it has to do with placement and who gets to enter the millennium or not. And, and support from this is that it's a gathering of nations, and it's based on works. Okay, and then the third judgment is the great white throne judgment that we looked at in Revelation 20. And the judgment, the, the, the position, the teaching, is that this is a judgment only of the lost. The believers aren't actually in this judgment, that they had their judgment at the uh, Bema Seat of Christ, that their situation is finished. And, and uh, so this judgment, only the lost are judged, their names are not found in the book of life, and they are cast into the lake of fire. And the support for that is, like I said, the believers have already been been judged at the Bema seat, and there is no judgment for loss. Now, that's the teaching. When I say it's the teaching, I'm not going to say it's my teaching. <laughs> I'm not going to, to argue with it, especially or not, um, because whether you believe those distinctions or not, sometimes I think when we put these charts together, we're, we're making our distinctions too fine. Uh, and I could argue the other side of this and say there are three you can argue and say there are three separate judgments. You could also argue they're just, just the same judgment phrased different ways, uh, and, and it would actually work. And I, that's not the debate I want to get into, even though I've named them. I, 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 brought, I did that for a very specific purpose, because if I went on with this message without talking about it, there'd be an elephant in the room <laughs> that wasn't discussed that needs to be mentioned for some people. All I want to do is mention the elephant so that we can ignore the elephant. Okay, uh, I, I want to. I bring it up only so I can set it aside. This passage of Revelation 
is written like everything else in Revelation. It's about that time, but it is written for our use now. Okay? And if we're too busy saying, saying, this is about judgment of unbelievers only, and it doesn't have relevance to me, and so on, and, I'm not, and you say, the pastor's not saying it right, he's, you're going to be locked on that, and you're not going to hear what I do have to say. And so what I want you to do is do me the favor of saying, regardless of what, this what I believe this judgment is about, I want to see what he says about it that has to do for me today. Because this is one of the best passages in the Bible for conviction of sin. Right? It, it is one of the best passages in the Bible for conviction of sin. And don't not listen to it because you're too busy saying he's not theologically in tune when he says these things. Because whether I'm right on when or how the judgments happen doesn't change the message this is giving to us today. Okay? Now, so the elephant, I just shot the elephant. Okay? Uh, don't let that keep you from hearing this. So, so let's look at the scene at the throne, okay? Uh, the great white throne and him who is seated on it. This is almost certainly the same great throne we saw in, in Revelation 4 and 5, where God is seated on the throne. We have the lamb that was slain peering before the scene. In, in that passage, those passages, it's not called white. This is the only one where it's called the great white throne, but it's almost certainly the same throne, uh, and it could be Christ, uh, it could be God. Either way, God is the one speaking in judgment. And then he says, earth and sky fled away. Right? I need to get back to my, my correct passage. Uh, he says, uh, and I saw, uh, sorry, verse, verse 11, and I, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And then skip down to chapter 21 and look at verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. So he says first the heaven and the earth, or the heaven and the sky, or the earth and the sky had fled away, and then he says there's a new heaven and a new earth because the old ones were no more. So we find ourselves in this situation where there is nowhere but the throne. There is nowhere else. Uh, the, 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 uh, some say God is going to remake when he makes the new heavens and the new earth. He's going to remake the current heavens and the, new earth, and the current earth. Like he's going to wipe them clean like a slate and start over. Others say it's going to be completely dissolved and, and vaporized. I kind of lean to that one. doesn't matter a whole lot. But at this point, where we are at this judgment... The current earth and sky has been done away with. The new earth and the new sky are waiting to be created, and there is nowhere but the throne. It is the only place we find someone. It is between the fleeing of one earth and the creation of another, and the dead are standing before the throne. There is no heaven. There is no earth. There is nowhere for them to go. There is nothing for them to do but stand and await judgment. Right? Great and small. I saw the great and the small. There's no distinction. Pharaoh is going to be there. The coal miners are going to be there, right? Hitler will be there. Mao will be there. Uh, Mussolini will be there. And, and our ancestors and our relatives and our cousins will be there, right? Teachers will be there. Close friends will be there. Bitter enemies will be there. And you might have bitter enemies standing right next to each other, and they probably won't notice each other because we will be utterly irrelevant to each other. There will be one on whom our focus is. There will be nothing but God and the throne. 
That's all that's going to be there. Okay, that's the th throne of judgment. And then the basis of judgment, second half of verse 12 and verse 13. And books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Books were opened. And another book was opened. Plural books, a lot of books, one book. And the dead were judged by what were written in the books according to what they had done. And I see a picture really clearly here of a book of Steve up there on the shelf. And a book of Bethany, and a book of Dick, and a book of Lori, and I could go on through the list. And I, as if each one of us has its own, not to know that literally each one of us has its own book, but here's the thing, God knows the exact true story of each and every one of us. The full story. I mean, he knew it before it happened. It says in Psalm 139, all my days were written before one of them yet was. <laughs> but he waits until we live it out, and he pulls down our book, right? And, and he starts reading what's in the book. And he says that phrase, right? He, he says uh, first in, in uh, verse 12, that they were judged according to what they had done. And then he says in verse 13, each one of them according to what they had done. I'd like to read you a little principle, a little principle about repetition. It's, it's kind of interesting to see that we find this in the Bible. Genesis chapter 41, verse 32. It's a familiar story, even if it's not a familiar passage. Pharaoh's had his dreams, right? You know the story of Pharaoh's dreams where he, he dreamt and he had seven fat cows came up out of the Nile and then seven skinny cows came and ate them and then he had seven fat stalks of grain, then seven skinny grains came up and ate them. And Joseph comes along to interpret the dreams. And he gives him the interpretation of what the dreams are, but as part of that, he says this statement. For in chapter 41, verse 32. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream, right? He saw, saw the dream repeated, once with cows, once with grain. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. The fact that it is repeated that way, I mean, we, we hear that all the time. Why do we repeat things? We repeat them for emphasis. Why do we repeat things? <laughs> we won't go there. <laughs> but, but repetition is for emphasis. And when God emphasizes something, you can bet that's a sure thing. And so he says here twice, in two verses, they will be judged according to what they had done. Right? There is, there is no escape from this. We will be judged according to what uh, we have done. Uh, they will be judged uh, with no escape. So how long does it take before God pulls, and I've seen this uh, in tracts, uh, chick tracts, I love chick tracts, comic book tracts, but they always show it as a movie projecting on a screen. And, 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 and in a way, that's easier, you know. I, it's like, yeah, I'm, the book's out, but I'm going to wait for the movie. <laughs> yeah, this one won't be shorter. It's going to be true in every detail. You know, it's like, and, and, and there's a lot of people speculate that we will watch each other's movies. First of all, do you realize how many billions of years that would take? And I would get bored watching my own life. <laughs> right? And do you realize how boring your life is? 
I mean, if you start talking, say, well, wait a minute, I did this and this and this, and I'm going, yeah, but what did you do between those things? <laughs> well, I, I guess I sat around a lot. Yeah, you're boring. Most of your life is boring. Sorry, no offense. My life is boring, right? Most of my life is boring. There's a, there's some few exciting things that happen here and there, and the rest of it, you know, do you want to watch every step of me mowing the lawn? <laughs> yes, we, we don't, that's why movies are shorter. <laughs> Uh, so I don't think we're going to watch each other's. Besides, I don't think any of us will be interested in each other's. I'm not going to be interested in your sins or your goodness. Maybe your goodness more than your sins, but I don't want to watch your life. I don't see there would be of any value to each of us to watch each other's life. But, but it will be, we will be witnesses glued to the scene of watching our lives. And so what happens? How long does it take you to want to crawl into a hole? Reading or watching in accurate full detail the things you've done? How long does it take? And, and, and why would God put you through this? I'll tell you why. By the end of your life story, or by halfway into your life story, or maybe by, by five, well, ten, let's make it ten years into your life story, you are not waiting for God to judge you. You are judging yourself. You are in absolute complete agreement that you deserve to be punished. You're not, you can't defend yourself from the truth that you've seen, that you know he knows, and that you know yourself, and, and verify with each thing that you saw that, yeah, that's true. And so when he pulls down the book to judge you by the book, and you're there hearing or seeing your book, you are in agreement with the book. I don't want to see my book. I don't want to go through that. The basis of judgment is simple truth, and the truth condemns me. That's, that's all there is to it. But there's that other book. Oh, praise God for that other book. It may be, it may be a really boring book, too. I, I, there, I see two possibilities. One is that on the cover it says Book of Life and on the inside is simply a lot of names. Right? Probably chronologically. <laughs> Possibly alphabetically. I think some of us, Winterstein, Ziegler, <laughs> sorry, you're going to be last either way. <laughs> McLaughlin, I'm always in the middle, right? Uh, I don't know what order it's going to be, but if your name's in that book of life, then the rest doesn't matter. And I think we probably won't have to go through any process of hearing our book or seeing our book. I think the first step is going to be that book of life. And, if your name, and, it, and, it, and it may be just simply that list. The other possibility, I thought, is that the first half of the book is describing Jesus Christ, and then there's a really big appendix <laughs> that is a list of names. And if your name is in that book of life, it says Jesus Christ has paid the price for these sins. And they cannot be held against you or against these people if somebody's name is in the book of life. You want your name in that book. You want your name in that book. You can't do anything about your name in the other book, the book with your name on it. It's your book. You, you're busy writing it. Right? You're the author of that book. 
You can't do anything about that one, but you can do something about the other book, and that's come to Jesus Christ. You know your shame, you know your guilt, and if you're thinking about God reading your life, you're aware of that, then you know you need your name in his book. Well, that's the throne of judgment, and that's the basis of judgment, but then there's the result of judgment. It's not pretty. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That's three times we repeat the phrase, lake of fire. And people try to argue that it's not real. And three times in two verses, he says they're thrown into the lake of fire. See, you can argue with it all you want, but God is speaking very clearly. He's not repeating because he's stuttering. He's saying it is fixed and it is done. If anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was cast into the lake of fire. There is nobody, not one person, who is going to have God read their book and say, wow, your book is so good you don't need that one. It's, it's not going to happen. Your life is not good. I, don't, I mean, you may have a good life, <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying. And if that doesn't scare you, all I can say is you haven't thought about it enough. You haven't thought it deeply as, about it deeply enough. I recognize a truth about me. Uh, first, I'm attractive to flies. <laughs> Bugging me up here. Uh, I recognize a truth about me that, that I'm a shallow person. I can real easily read something and, and let it go by without going deep into it and thinking about it and, and, and not be bothered by it. And, and if you hear this and it doesn't bother you, if you read this and it doesn't bother you, then you are a shallow person. You're in company. That's not good company. Hopefully, you are at least free to say, well, you know what? I hear what you're saying, but I know my name is in that book of life. I know my name is in that book of life, and so I'm okay. I don't know if you've ever pictured someone you love in a lake of fire. We have those people in our lives. We have those people in our lives. And, and if I have escaped it, that's nice. But I want my loved ones to escape it too. You know, what, what should this message of judgment re re result in? Right? If, if you end up with a theological chart, that's great. You know, I, think, I think we should be able to do both with the Bible, by the way. Come up with accurate theological charts that splice and dice and work in all the ways but not stop and say, that's what that passage is for. I think we need to be able to do both those things. So what is the, the result this message should result in? Uh, is, is very simple, repentance. Uh, there are only two options. You can be based, judged based on what you have done, or you can be judged based on what Jesus Christ has done. Right? Repentance doesn't suddenly make you worthy, so you can say, well, I'm repented, so now I'm worthy to enter into eternal life. No. It's, it's simply acknowledging that you're not worthy and accepting what Jesus Christ has done for you. So, so, so the first result of this passage is repentance. We read this, we should repent. The second is evangelism. We read this, we should share that others are delivered from this thing. 
this message about what's going to happen then, at the, at the end of the ages, right? It's a, it's a message about what's going to happen at the end of the ages before the entry into eternal life, right? Uh, we want our names in the book of life, and we want as many other names in that book of life as we could possibly get crammed in there. One more really, really good and really important application we need to walk away from this is praise Jesus. <laughs> praise God that I am not stuck by the results of my book. Praise Jesus for what he has done to redeem me from my book, from the things written in it. Um, we see more clearly, as we see our guilt, as we see the results of our guilt, we see more clearly what he has done for us. Uh, we need to praise him for it more and more earnestly. Let's bow in prayer. Dear Jesus, we do praise you. We lift your name up and we acknowledge you as Savior. From, a, from Father, I ask, I, Lord Jesus, I ask you to, 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 to forgive me my sins. I praise you that you have forgiven me of my sins. I thank you for the eternal life you give and the victory you give and the, the freedom from fear of judgment. Lord, I ask for the ability to share the gospel effectively with those around me, to make a difference and win people to you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.